So Moses didn't want the job, you may recall. God appeared to him at the burning bush and told him to, uh, pointed him to be the man. He'd be the man who would go to Pharaoh and uh, through whom God would bring his people out of slavery in Egypt. But Moses didn't want the job. I can't speak good. They won't believe me. All kinds of excuses. At the end of which, he just flatly asked God to send somebody else. But God said, no. Just go like I told you to go. So he did. But it went badly. I mean, not really. It turned out just like God said it was going to turn out. Uh, but from Moses' perspective, Moses just made matters worse, right? That's the people's perspective, which they made sure Moses understood. But it's Moses' own perspective as he goes to God and he says, why have you done this evil since you sent me? Since I came in your name, nothing but harm has come to these people and you haven't saved them at all. So from Moses' perspective, God's left him hanging. Pharaoh refused to let them go worship Jehovah. He said that all this talk of worshiping God's just coming from a, a place of laziness. So he increased their workload and then beat them for their failure to meet it. The, uh, the Israelite foreman, they appealed to Pharaoh, but it did no good. And so they come to Aaron and, and Moses cursing him. So Moses complains to the Lord, and, you know, why have you brought this evil on your people? Well, last week we noted how long-suffering God is. You know, Moses rebukes God, but God does not rebuke Moses. Uh, God just lets it go. The Proverbs tell us that it is our glory to overlook an offense. Well, the reason that is is because it's, it's what God does all the time for us. So it's glorious to look like God. You know, Moses has not been sent to persuade Pharaoh. God has raised Pharaoh up for this very purpose that God might be glorified through his destruction. So God's answer is, now you're going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. And after a brief soliloquy on the name of the Lord... A genealogy comes out of nowhere. And that's where we're taking up the text this morning. If you're in the middle of chapter 6, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, let me invite you to make it make your way to Exodus chapter 6. We are, uh, we're picking up at verse 14. Exodus 6, 14. Let's, let's read it together. These are the heads of the father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanoch, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the sons of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The, son, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram, 
took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister. And she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zichri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphon, and Zithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Amminadab and the sister of Nashan. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abisaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar took Aaron's son, I'm sorry, Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses by, of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and bringing out, uh, about bringing the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Now, do you notice that's not a complete genealogy? Is it? It uh, there. There were twelve sons, right? And, and and only four of them are named. Well, three of them. Sorry, Judah's not even named. Just three of them starts with Simeon and 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 or Reuben and Simeon, and that makes sense because they're older than Levi, and so um, protocol demands that you name them first. But Levi is the point. We're really rushing to Levi. And you can see that rush to Levi because even Reuben and Simeon, they only get their sons are named, right? It's, their names are, sons are named, and then they move on. And then when you get to Levi, it's far more expansive, and it doesn't ever go on anywhere past Levi, right? So um, we're given the, the age of the death for three people and three people only. Levi, Kohath his son, and Amram, Kohath's son, so Levi's grandson. Levi and Amram both lived to be 137 years, um, so Grandpa Levi and grandson Amram outlive Daddy Kohath by four years. Now, I don't know what we're to glean from that other than the fact that the, uh, the genealogy is about this particular particular line. It's not even just about Levi. It's this particular line of this particular tribe. Now, look at the little narrative details that are sprinkled in. Verses 20 and 23. Verse 20. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137. Okay. Skipping the yuck factor. Hold, hold your finger here and, and flip over to Leviticus 18.12. Leviticus 18.12. So this is in the law of Moses, which the, these people are going to get at, the, at Mount Sinai. It says very explicitly, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is your father's relative. You're not allowed to marry your aunt after this. 
So, so this, this is a marriage that would be illegal under the law of Moses, but I guess not yet. I mean, Adam's kids definitely had to marry each other, right? So when does this stop? Uh, well, definitely at Mount Sinai, or by my, Mount Sinai. So there's no indication of disapproval in the text. We're just told that married his aunt. Um, Amram married his aunt Jochebed, Levi's immediate daughter. So you see then how deeply Moses and Aaron's Levite blood run, right? Levi is grandpa on both sides, or great-grandpa on both sides. I think that's one of the things that the, the passage is trying to as it gets. Now look at Aaron's man, someone three generations younger than that. Now let's consider Joshua for a second. Now we haven't met Joshua, but we're gonna. Um, he's gonna become Moses' assistant in the wilderness. Well, if you look at 1 Chronicles 7, you'll find out that he is 11 generations removed from Ephraim. So you've got somebody who's three generations removed partnering with somebody who's 11 generations removed, right? Coterminous at the same time. Now turn over to um, chapter 12, verse 40 for me. Is, uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. We'll get here soon enough. Uh, we'll need to work through the plagues first. But in chapter 12, we're told this. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. We're going to be told that they come out to the very day, 430 years. So now that little detail has caused a good bit of consternation. Uh, as you might imagine, 430 years is a very long time. And for Moses to be so close to Levi himself, that just seems like a little too much time. Jacob was 130 years old when they entered Egypt, when he entered Egypt. We know that Moses was 120 years old at the end of the wilderness journey. So he's 80 years old now. Um, so Jacob's grandson's only 80 years old, and yet it's been 430 years. You, you see the confusion, right? Now turn over to Galatians 3 for me. Galatians 3.17. I really struggle to understand this passage without resorting to Paul. But Paul solves it for me. <laughs> so I don't, so I'm, I'm happy to turn to Paul. He does read it in an interesting way, but Galatians 3, 17, uh, he's talking about the law and circumcision being added to the promises that were given to Abraham. God spoke to Abraham when he was 99 years old. Remember that? He has Isaac when he's 100 years old. And Paul marks the time, the time of the promise being given then as the beginning of the Egyptian sojourn. It sounds weird, but that looks how, how Paul is reckoning this time. Remember how God put Abraham into a deep sleep and told him that his descendants would be servants in a foreign land for 400 years? Well, apparently the clock started then. Um, here's what Paul says. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years after the promise. So the law comes at Sinai 430 years after the promise was given. 
you see? Um, 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Well, Isaac was born the next year. Jacob was born when Isaac was 60. So we're 60, 61 years in, right? And Jacob was 130 when he went to Egypt. So that's 100 or 100, 190 or 191 years after the promise was made that they enter Egypt. Well, that makes the math a whole lot easier. There's only 230 years left. That makes, that makes things fit for me. and It's given under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So thank you, Paul. So um, that's about all I have to say with regard to the genealogy. There, there is something very strange about this genealogy, though, isn't there? It's the tone. Uh, it seems to be put here to assure us that it's this Moses and Aaron, particularly. Not some other Moses and Aaron. There are no other Moses and Aaron's in the Bible. Uh, but it seems to be put here apologetically or something, right? Um, these are the Aaron and the Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the people of, uh, of Israel out of Egypt. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh. And now the, the narrative resumes in verse 28. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, and the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that I, all I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Now, is this another episode? I don't think so. I think what happened is I think the, the genealogy interflow, interrupts the flow of the narrative, and this is a reminder of where we were in the narrative. This is the same, same discussion, I think, that Moses was having with God. And, and the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command him, command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt. you get that? The Egyptians will know that I am Jehovah when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the people of Israel out from among them. So remember, Moses has just come to God all dejected and frustrated. Um, so God reminds him of his plan. It's not going to be easy. He's going to say no. He is going to resist. I will defeat him, and the people will go free. Verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am Jehovah. Now, he's just spent all this time, I don't know if you remember, but he spent all this time ensuring that the people of God know that it is Jehovah who's going to bring them out of Egypt. Their worship is going to be in the name of Jehovah. Now, when he acts to save them, the Egyptians themselves will know that it's Jehovah. That is, brothers and sisters, God's plan. Every knee will bow. Some will bow in humble gratitude and submission during this life. Others will come to confess to their own dismay that Jesus Christ actually is Lord 
when it is too late. Our passage ends with an emphasis on the obedience of Moses and Aaron. It begins with an emphasis on on who they are and how they're related to the family and its leadership. Now it emphasizes their obedience. And I find that interesting. I mean, so far Moses has been pretty resistant to God's plan at every step. Uh, He's done what he's been told, sort of. Uh, I mean, he didn't circumcise his son like he was supposed to. Uh, and he certainly tried to get out of doing what God asked him to do. I mean, please, can't you just send somebody else? It's pretty explicit. Um, so why is this here? Why the emphasis on their obedience? Well, Jesus told a parable about that in Matthew 21. Turn to Matthew chapter 21 for me. Jesus had just been challenged. Tell us by what authority you do all these things, right? All the miracles that he was doing. And so he threw it back at him. He said, okay, I'll tell you what. You tell me what you think of John the Baptist, and I'll tell you by what authority I do this. Well, they didn't want to do that, so they refused to answer him. And so he refused to answer them either. And then he says this, verse 28. He asks a rhetorical question. He says, what do you think? A man has two sons. He went to the first, and he said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will. But after a while, I'm sorry, he says, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Now, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not change your minds afterwards and believe. So Moses said no, but he went. Did he have a change of heart? Well, I don't know. Maybe not yet. Uh, But he, he does after this. You no longer hear Moses complaining after this. Um, that's what's remembered. That's what's written down for us here. And that's true for you too. Um, The Christian life is a life of repentance. Why? Because none of us have arrived. So no matter what, you'll still find sin trying to ruin your life. And that's why we'll... We walk with Christ in the very same way that we we came to Christ, in repentance and faith. It's always a life of repentance and faith. It's not much of a takeaway, I guess. I wish I could give you more, but it is a genealogy. Cut me some slack a little. Um, Nothing new is said either. I mean, as we resume the narrative, don't get me wrong, this this is important because the stage is set for the exodus now, but nothing new is said. Moses Moses came and he complained and and God just encouraged him with the same promises that he'd made. He just reiterates his promises and and assures Moses and and Moses obeys. Failing to circumcise his son, forgotten. Murdering an Egyptian, forgotten. What is remembered is that he did exactly what the Lord did told him to do. And so it is in your walk with Christ. What does Paul, Paul tells us 
that forgetting what lies behind, we are to strain forward to what lies ahead, pursuing the upward God, call of God in Christ Jesus. So press forward in obedience and watch God act. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know that better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And, and we know that as we receive Christ Jesus as our Lord, so we are to walk in him. Father, we ask that you would help us to do so. We ask that you would help us to continue to uh, crucify that sin which remains in us. Help us to not be satisfied with it, Lord, but to be uh, constantly in pursuit of the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And yet, Lord, as we pursue that righteousness, we ask, Lord, that you would remind us always that our righteousness is an alien righteousness, that you have done all that is necessary for us to be perfectly righteous before you. And so, Father, we ask that you would just help us to, to by forming Christ in us, completing the work that you have begun in us, help us to turn away from a life of sin and turn to a life of righteousness. For Christ's sake, amen. Amen. Let's rise and sing.